Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Now, it is at that time of the year, it is Christmas and everyone gets the cookies out and everyone gets the good food out and it's chocolate and after all you've worked so hard over the years, now let's treat ourselves. And then... It's soon the 1st of January, and it is the time for us to rethink about, hmm, my belt doesn't fit, and that little skirt that I wore yesterday was rather tight, oh. and we're coming to this kind of, it's time to make big changes. Uh, today, we talk about big changes, but we talk about big changes by taking tiny little steps but tiny little steps every day and in a consistent way. And who better to have with me today than Stavros Mastrogiannis. Stavros is, you hear from the name, he's Greek. And he is a man of many talents that we're going to explore. And he has lived a Mediterranean diet. He has, and I sh that's already the first mistake I made today. It's not a diet. It's a Mediterranean lifestyle. And that's what we're going to talk about. How to live a life so full of joy, so full of, yeah, that, that you know, there is no room for you to escape reality, that you don't need alcohol to numb yourself or, or food to numb yourself to make you feel better. So, no, I've got the perfect guest here to explore that. Stavros, welcome to my show. Thank you, Stefan, for having me on your show. I'm no. very happy to be here. An absolute honor and pleasure because it is so beautiful. There are still so many diets out there. And it is that, that kind of oh, quick fix thinking, that kind of, ah, oh, if I just do three weeks of that, I'm going to be yeah. healthy forever and it's going to be beautiful and I can go back to eating two cheesecakes for breakfast and it's going to be all fine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fat and, chance. <laughs> and actually, the, that brings me to, uh, to my first point is that the first thing I think people need to realize is that nobody has a weight problem. I mean, nobody really truly has a weight problem. Weight gain, it's a symptom. The problem is your habits. So when you're thinking of weight loss, you should be focusing not on your weight and the scale, but what behaviors do I have that contributes to this problem? Because for 99% of the people, it's some behavior or behaviors that cause them to, to gain weight. And I think if you start looking at things that way, instead of focusing on the scale, okay, you can... Uh, take more uh, productive steps because you're changing the behaviors that led to you being overweight and out of shape. I mean, and also bad health, everything comes down to habits. And I find that when you focus on a diet, a lot of people, when they're looking at, uh, they want to lose weight, they usually, like you said, they focus on some quick fix diet. They're not looking to change their behaviors though. And that is why 95% of the people who lose weight, at least in the United States, gain the weight back because they haven't really changed the root cause of the problem. And I'm all about changing the root cause, mm. not just some temporary change. I can lose weight fast, look good for the summer and then mm. go back in the same routine, mm. you know? So true. So, so true. It is, 
if we could take that interview in any any one direction, but let's actually explore it with your youth, because you grew up in Greece, and uh, where did you grow up out of interest? Uh, I actually lived on, on Evia, it's an island, mm-hmm. and actually at the time I lived there, we had a similar diet to Ikaria. Ikaria, it's one of the uh, islands in Greece that has the second longest lifespan in the world. It's one of the blue zones, I don't know if you've heard that term, yeah. blue zone, areas that people live long, healthy lives. And I'll tell you a funny story though, I did not start reflecting on my upbringing too much later. So I moved to the United States in 87 and I ended up getting into the uh, fitness field in 92 and I got into it completely by accident. I, I wasn't, I had a degree in culinary arts. I also cook really well. And I graduated from one of the best schools, um, uh, the American College, of, uh, sorry, the um, uh, American, um, the Culinary Institute of America. Got it. And <laughs> I used to cook and I used to just want to get in shape for myself. You know, I was a young kid. I wanted to look good on the beach. And I realized that the advice I was getting from personal trainers, I could not stick with. Because to me, I don't live to exercise. I exercise to live. I didn't want my life to be all about my diet and about exercising. I wanted to live. And I was finding their advice very hard to stick with because they took a lot of time, you know, Every time you went to a restaurant, you had to figure out how many calories I have to eat, you know? And back then we didn't even have the apps, but even with the apps, who can count calories? How long can you count calories for? A month, two months? So anyway, so I ended up getting to the industry because I realized that, you know something, there is a disconnect between the fitness professionals who, by the way, they mean well, they truly want to help, I'm not questioning that, but they don't understand the average person who doesn't love fitness, you see? Who becomes a personal trainer or a nutritionist? People who love fitness. Well, you love exercising, but you're trying to train people who do not love exercising how to exercise. So you're applying to them what you like. And have you heard the saying, do unto others as you like done unto yourself? Mm-hmm. See, I disagree with that. Do unto others as they like done on themselves. Because <laughs> what I like and what you like, two different things. <laughs> And that's where I started exploring and I started getting into the industry. And I went, I mean, I got got tons of certifications. I went back to school. I got a a diploma in nutrition. And I found myself teaching things that contradicted my own upbringing. And actually, the person that pointed that out was my mother. So, you know how they teach breakfast, most important meal of the day. Yeah. And that's why I was teaching my clients initially in the first like five, six years in the industry, because I was teaching what I was taught in school. So one day my mother's like, Stavro, were you eating breakfast in Greece? Does does adults eat breakfast in Greece? I go, no. So why are you teaching your clients to eat breakfast? I go, what? That's what they taught me in school. And he goes, think. So as I start researching about breakfast, I found out it's a completely useless meal. For most people, there's exceptions. We're not going to get into that. But for most people, breakfast is not an important meal. And if you look at all the studies that support the idea of breakfast, most of them, 99%, are paid by cereal companies. And most of them, (laughs) any conflict of interest there? And most of them are observational studies. Uh Observational studies meaning that they looked at a whole bunch of people, 
The people who ate breakfast were healthier and thinner than the people who did not eat breakfast. So the conclusion was, oh, it must be breakfast. They never took, it, took into account that those people ate much better overall. They exercised, they did so many more things differently. So in spite eating breakfast, they were healthier. And, and that's what caused me to start questioning what I learned in school. I started looking at my own upbringing and I started reflecting, okay, how do we live in Greece? And I'll tell you a funny story about that. I'm sure you read a lot of studies on Mediterranean diet, okay? You know, you know what's interesting is that they always talk about the foods we ate or didn't eat. How many of them talk about how do we eat? And that's a part that we're missing. They always talk about, you know, the olives and the feta cheese and the vegetables and the uh, lamb, of course. But by the way, in Greece, we did not eat as much meat. We ate actually meat once or twice a week. We were pre basically, I would say four to five days a week, we were basically vegans. We didn't eat that much meat. So anyway, but the part that they left out is the fact on average, nobody ate breakfast during the week, Monday to Friday. On the weekends, we did have breakfast sometimes, like uh, like a cheese pie, called tiropita. Uh, actually, my favorite one on the weekend was the cheese pie with uh, with Coke. Some combination. <laughs> <laughs> but because some it, was, reason, it was a treat. It was a treat. It was a treat, exactly. Ah, oh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. Treat. <laughs> nobody, talks about, and nobody talks about the fact that on average, most people only ate twice a day, yeah. one big meal, one small meal, and sometimes only one. Yeah. Nobody talked about that on average, people after eating their big, big meal, if it, you know, they took a nap afterwards. Huh. And you know how good it is for your body to rest after eating? Huh. So it is all those things that they left out or the fact that people ate, took their time. You know, when we ate lunch, we didn't have 10 minutes to eat. I know, I know in New Zealand, you guys get more than 10 minutes for lunch. <laughs> no, no, but most people- lucky. Yeah. Well, in Greece, we had three-hour lunch breaks. Mm. Now, wouldn't that be nice? So we took our time. Now, in the villages, this is the funny part. In the villages, they ate a small lunch and a big dinner. Mm. The reason was in the villages, they worked in the fields. They didn't have a three-hour lunch break like cities did. So these people instinctively knew that, hey, if I have to work during the day, I shouldn't be eating this big meal because how do you feel after eating a big meal? Mm. You know, not you don't want to go back to work or you want to take a nap. Mm. So... And then if you look at our dogs and cats, what do they do after eating a meal? They nap a lot of them. Hmm. Why? Because it aids digestion. So, so basically all these studies I was reading about Mediterranean diet, they left out these crucial points of what makes us healthy, which wasn't just the food that we ate. It was the fact that how do we eat? And that's what I want to bring to the world is, hmm. is like I always tell people that proper nutrition has two parts. Part one is what you eat. Of course, it does play a role. Hmm. Part two, how do you eat? And here is the great thing about learning how to eat. It makes what you're eating more forgiving. In other words, you can get away eating some foods are not so great, like myself. I like my junk food. I enjoy my chocolate, hmm. but it's a treat. Hmm. And I eat it, you know, special occasions like Christmas is coming uh, uh, and the holidays are coming up or we went through the holidays. So to me, nothing wrong with having a cake on your birthday. On the weekend, you go out with friends, have a cake, enjoy it. If you learn how to eat and you eat slow and mindful and it won't affect you. 
and I must say, I mean, that is those kind of things uh, hearing out of your word, uh, out of your mouth. Um, that I knew every single thing of that, and do I do I live by it? Nah, yeah. I'm an anesthetist. Um, if I get ten minutes to eat, now that's a luxury. Um, typically, I wolf things then. I inhale uh, food over the day, and regrettably, in the evening, I'm not much better. Um, it is the lifestyle is very much. It's so different for us. Yeah. And in in fairness, don't don't beat yourself up now, guys out there, because your lifestyle does not fit a Mediterranean island. Well, guess what? Yeah, you will live different lives. The question is: so if we if we can't actually um, do such dramatic changes, can you not still do smaller changes? Absolutely. And that's the Absolutely. important bit. You know, yeah. it is, if we actually just, you said the word mindfulness. And if we actually were to apply that to your food, to actually just say, look at it, use your eyes and say, wow, that looks cool. I've got really, I made that this morning and here it is. And this is my lunchtime. And I really, oh. really enjoyed it. You don't need to look at an app. You don't need to look at a newspaper, etc. You can actually look at your food and think, wow, okay, I'm going to enjoy that now. And that is mindfulness. Yeah. And that is so often missing, isn't it? Yes, uh, you're making actually a very good point. I want to, the first point that you made about the application, because I'm sure you heard the saying, um, knowledge is power. Well, actually, knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. It's not what you know. <laughs> it's what you do with what you know that makes a difference. <laughs> love it, love it. You know, and to me, and then that's where I really focus is on the application because I realize a lot of my clients, when I do interviews, they know what they need to do. Doing it is the problem. So back to the mindfulness of eating, for instance. Uh, so the way that I like to apply things is first, like I would look at, okay, what behaviors do we need to add to your life? Then what we do is we focus on one at a time. So let's take the eating mindfully because a lot of people know that they should be eating slowly and mindfully. How many people do it? Not very few, very few. So how do you do it? Simple. Start with uh, the putting your fork down between every bite. Start with that. You, get, you know, you can start today. So today, starting today, when you eat your next meal, put your fork down between every bite and focus on the food in your mouth. Because let's think about it. When do you get pleasure from food? You don't get pleasure from food when you swallow it. You get pleasure from food, which in your mouth. And focus on it. Focus on the taste. If somebody else cooked, did they put enough salt? What kind of spices does they have? Like when I go to restaurants, well, I do have a cooking background, but I always like to taste to see what kind of spices did the chef use. And this way, the food spends more time in my mouth. You know what that means? That means that I get more pleasure out of food, but with less food. Because since every bite of food spends more time in my mouth and me enjoying it, the more pleasure I get. I don't need to eat as much. And you give your body a chance to tell you, hey, you're full. Hmm. Because the body does take a little extra time to tell you when you're full. So when you eat slowly and mindfully and you really uh, uh, you know, chew your food, which, by the way, aids digestion, you're going to find yourself. By the way, every study ever done that I have ever read on slow and mindful eating People end up eating less food without even trying. That's the key. That you ate less without feeling deprived. 
where a lot of times when you're counting calories, so let's say you ate the right amount of calories, but then you feel deprived. It's only a matter of time before you give in because it's in human nature to want what we can't have. And that is why the slow and mindful to me, it's an extremely important habit that people should develop. But the key is to start with small steps, put your fork down, focus on the food in your mouth. Try not to watch TV or work or do anything else while eating. You know, because unfortunately, a lot of times we're busy doing other things. I don't know if it ever happened to you where you're eating, you're busy doing things, and you look down, the plate is empty. It's like, where'd the food go? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and then you feel like you haven't eaten enough and you get up and you eat more. So that one little habit can actually help people lose, start losing weight without feeling deprived. To me, that's the key is how do you lose weight without feeling that all that effort? Because if you look again, if you look at um, the current, the 5%, because by now only 5% of the people can keep the weight off after they lose it. That's the current statistics, at least in the United States. And what do most people do? Well, have you heard the saying that if you want to achieve something in life, you want to find somebody who achieved what you want and follow their example. Great advice, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, the advice for fit, for weight loss is wrong. You have to make sure the example you're following, you can actually follow it. And if you look at, and I've studied this, I mean, I've been in the industry for 20, almost 30 years now. Uh, look at the 5% of people who are able to keep the weight off of the current methods of weight loss. The whole life is about fitness. All they talk about is the calories, the carbs, I have to control carbs because, you know, keto is very popular nowadays. Uh, I have to spend time in the gym. Their whole life is about fitness. Well, to me, I don't live to exercise. I want to have a life. Yeah. And most people want to have a life. And that's why most people choose not to live that way. And to be honest with you, I'd rather be overweight and enjoy life than be fit and miserable because I have no life. And that's what I'm all about is about how do we, what, what, what a better example to follow? And the better example was my own upbringing. And that's when I start reflecting on my own upbringing in Greece. And then I start looking at other healthy regions around the world. I'm like, those people, like when I lived in Greece, I didn't even know what a calorie was. Nobody worried about their weight or their health or what we're going to eat. We, we focus on enjoying life. Why? Because all those things that kept us in shape were habitual behaviors. So in other words, we ate the way we ate, not because we wanted to be healthy, because through our traditions, we were taught to eat this way and we're healthy naturally. And it's almost like a weight loss program was an autopilot. Wouldn't it be nice to have your fitness program on autopilot? And and, and to a certain degree it is, because let's go back to where you came from. Um, it is, if you're living on a smaller island, there is actually so much more work. There's naturally so much more physical exercise. The island is not just flat with well-paved ways. No, you go uphills, downhills, yep. left and right. So there's automatically, people are doing far more as part of their daily life without them calling it exercise. That's just exactly. their daily life. So there is that argument there. The other thing is it's intriguing what you're telling me that many people in, in your upbringing uh, were considering breakfast a non, non-issue. So, But then again, it's hot. So you have your dinner later. Uh, you're often uh, in, in the Mediterranean, eat at 9, 10 o'clock at night. Yep. Um, and um, 
then therefore if if one was to look at the sort of the, the hours until your next food it's nearly a little bit like intermittent fasting but only nearly yes. because there is there is a little bit of an element there normally intermittent fasting is sort of 16 hours of yes. no food intake um but if you eat this late if you if you only just finish at 11 o'clock at night well by the time lunchtime comes around tomorrow it's only just 12 13 hours so if you look at it from that angle well the the uh in the summer times we ate later but in the winter times we did eat at a much more reasonable time like seven or eight right and also in uh, in the cities lunch was the main meal a lot of times a lot of adults they skip dinner completely so it uh, was exactly what you said. It's similar to intermittent fasting, which yeah. regularly people went for 16 hours or longer uh, without eating. And the um, and you know what's great about skipping breakfast? You have more energy. Because a lot of people ask me, like, where do I get my energy from? Hmm. Well, from the stored fat that we have. We all have excess fat, including myself. Doesn't matter how thin you are, hmm. you have excess fat. The way that the body was meant to work is you eat your dinner, especially in this country that people you know work during the day. So you eat your dinner. The body has time to digest the food properly, hmm. replenish the energy you use during the day. Hmm. And then if you ate access, it will store it as fat. Hmm. The next day when you wake up, do you know naturally your cortisol levels are highest in the morning? And the cortisol, that's what they call the stress hormone. But you know, the cortisol, there's nothing wrong with that hormone. It, mm. it helps the body release the fat from the fat cells into the bloodstream for energy. Mm. So that's where my energy comes from, from the stored energy from the night before. So the human body is more like a battery. Mm. Now, here's the kicker. Because I did not eat in the morning, well, let me take a step back. Digestion takes a lot of energy. So if I eat in the morning, part of my energy has to go towards digestion. Mm. When I get up in the morning and I don't eat, all my energy goes towards function. That's why I have energy to spare. I mean, I go through the whole day and I feel great. I, there's no lows. And I know sometimes it takes a little getting used to, but it well worth the effort. And never mind the energy and weight loss. I mean, that's actually uh, the least of the benefits. The biggest benefits, and I can't remember the doctor's name, uh, in 2016, he, he was a Japanese doctor. He won a Nobel Prize uh, on the how autophagy works. Have you heard the term autophagy? Is when your body goes within and, and recycles old cells. Well, autophagy, come to find out, number one, gets rid of misfolded proteins, which is the precursor to all mental diseases. It gets rid of mutated and dysfunctional cells, precursor to cancer. So it lowers your chance of all these deadly diseases by doing that. And the one point I want to make before you mentioned about exercising, you know, about how I was raised in Greece and we naturally were active. Mm. And that is true. And that is why today you should do the same thing with your exercise. Mm. In other words, don't a lot of people when they think of exercise, they think of going to the gym mm. and working out really hard. What I suggest is break it up throughout your day. Mm. So you get up in the morning, do a couple crunches, mm. do five minute walk, mm. do something small. And then at lunchtime, take another five minute walk or 10 minute walk. And then maybe do some push-ups. but kind of make it into a routine so you don't feel that it's a workout. 
And by the way, that's the way I work out is I kind of spread it throughout the day and I do it in small increments and I can put a lot more effort into it because that's a short increment mm. and you don't talk yourself out of it. That's the biggest one. <laughs> because if you only have to walk for five minutes mm. compared to 30 minutes. That's true. Right? You know, yeah. i tell you a funny story about that. The, you know, because that's how I always tell people the first goal of an exercise program, it's not results. That's actually one of the big mistakes people make. It's to develop the exercise habit. Once you develop the habit, then push for better results. And, yeah. you know, I'll give you an example, which I think you will find very, uh, very useful. Let's say you came to me and I wanted to help you to get into exercising. So I would tell you, Stefan, I want you to walk one minute, five days a week. Now, usually when I tell that to people, their reaction is like, what the heck would one minute do? Well, it's not going to do much. But what it will do is get you into the habit of walking. Because if it's only one minute, in compared to 30 minutes, which is the recommendation is like 20 to 30 minutes. Mm. Let's say you got home and you're tired. And you're like, look at the treadmill. Like, oh, I got to walk for 20, 30 minutes. Forget it. I'll do it tomorrow. Now, if it's only one minute. That's right. And you said, this crazy trainer is going to ask me if I did it. What's the chance of you getting on it and doing it for one minute? Much better. Now, most of the time, would you stop after one minute? Maybe you're going to go for two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Might go a little longer. Yeah. But then you, be, you develop the behavior of walking. That's that's what the beauty of it. So this way it becomes a habit. You get home, you get into it, or if you want to do it in the morning, you get yeah. up in the morning, you start with one minute, but then slowly you want to do more. That's the key. What I want to get to is exactly. you choose to exercise. It's not a must. It's not a, I have to, which people dread. Exactly. So that's one good way. And then you can start adding little weights or you can start doing maybe some push-ups, and then maybe we can start some stretching and you slowly build into it. And it's beautiful. And before you know it, it has become a quintessential uh, thing that you don't even think about. It yes. Is, um, I'm trying to make it more common in my life, and it's hard to do it in a hospital. I mean, when we have got theater lists, then it's basically bang, 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 bang. Get yep. the patients through, be safe, be nice, be respectful, but be effective. There are no long breaks in between. But there's always uh, theater setup time, nurses get instruments, etc., before the next patient can come in. Well, there's enough to do 10 push-ups and incline push-ups sort of on the, so I lean yep. on the theater bed, do 10 push-ups, and then next case comes. Before you've exactly. blinked, you've done 50, 60, 70 push-ups in a day that you didn't do beforehand. With a exactly. push-up, push-up, incline push-up, there is, um, it's interesting because you actually use a hell of a lot of muscles there. Exactly. And that's quite a nice thing. So quickly done, raises the heart rate a bit, and on you go. There you go. So tiny, tiny habits. But yep. actually by making them habits, you can do that. The same thing with the hydration. You, yes, I'm a coffee addict. Yeah, that was yep. my coffee here. But I'm also a man who has got water bottles uh, dotted around. So for every every coffee I drink, I drink some water. So again, the hydration is such a beautiful thing to add in. And... Some of us are getting really good in it. I mean, many of my colleagues are walking around with water bottles literally melted to their to yeah. their hands. You can't <laughs> pry it out of their hands. Yeah. 
But regrettably, that is then sort of one of the few things that happens and all the rest goes down the yeah. wayside. So again, it's it's the combination. It's trying to put everything together. Um, but you have to start with one thing. And that's, exactly. what, that's what Stavros is all about. I love the one minute. I mean, that's the principle of the five-minute gardener. Um, the five minutes, so yep. go into your garden. I only do five minutes. I do not allow you to do more than five minutes. But yep. do five minutes every day. And you will be amazed how your garden looks exactly. like. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the, I, I, I think I'll tell you actually a funny story about how I came across that idea. Are you familiar with the Kaizen method? Mm-hmm. Kaizen is an ancient philosophical system on how to apply change. And what happened to me, and again, it, a lot of things happened to me because a lot of people ask me, one question I get asked a lot mm-hmm. is, have you ever had a weight problem? And I usually say no. And then they tell me, well, how do you understand people that have a weight problem when yourself never had a weight problem? Because I said, you don't have a weight problem either. What you have is a behavior problem. Weight is only a side effect. And have I had behaviors myself that I needed to change? Absolutely. Tons that change over time. So so I I fully understand people that need to change behaviors. So, you know, flossing. You know, everybody keeps telling you flossing, you got to do it regularly. So I will go to my dentist. By the way, my dentist was also my client. So I will go for my regular checkup. He would tell me enough flossing enough. He would give me all the reason why I should be flossing. And I would get inspired. I would leave the office. I would floss regularly for a couple of weeks and then fall off the wagon. And then the year later, same story over and over. So then I was reflecting on behaviors. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to get people to exercise regularly. I can't even get myself to floss. So I was getting, so that what drove me to look in, okay, how do I develop behaviors? And that's why I came up again with Kaizen and I discovered the power of small actions. So this is what I did. I started flossing one tooth every night, just one tooth, up, down, done. I told, uh, I told my dentist that and his reaction was, you're not flossing, you're wasting your time. I said, I go, you're missing the point. I go, I'm not trying to floss. I'm trying to develop the habit of picking up the string every night. Forget the result that I'm looking for. I focused on the action that I need to start taking regularly. I took that action, made it into the smallest small steps possible. Yeah. And there would be times I would go to bed and I'm like, oh, I ain't flossed. I would jump up, do the one, two, then go back to sleep. And after like, it took me a couple of months, I stopped flossing every tooth. I've been flossing ever since, never missed a day. And it's a habit now. I don't need to think anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that really works. And I start applying that with exercising. And then with all the eating habits that I teach, I take the habit, break it down to the smallest step possible, and then focus on taking the step. Forget the results you want. Hmm. Just believe, though, that once you develop all these habits, the results will come. You got to have that belief. But then focus on the actions and the smallest action possible. And then as you start taking the action, guess what? You start feeling successful. Mm-hmm. Oh, which brings me to another point is about the success indicator. Like, you know, if you go on the weight loss program, what is your success indicator? Like what do most people use? The scale. Mm-hmm. I lost weight today. Mm-hmm. I'm doing good. I didn't lose weight. I'm doing bad. So let me go have some Twinkies. <laughs> Ooh, nice one. Yeah, it's true, yeah. isn't it? It, it is true. It, unfortunately, what I do with my clients, the, the scale is not a success indicator. Yes, 
Don't get me wrong. We want to lose weight. But our success indicator each week is how are you doing on the habit we are developing? So in other words, uh, this week, your goal was to walk one minute, five days a week. Did you do that? Great. Successful week. The following week, did you do maybe two minutes couple of the workouts? Did you do a little bit more than you did this week? Yes. Mm. It's a great week. Mm. And each week, I compare how are you doing, how are you developing the habit you're trying, the behavior you're trying to make a habitual. Mm. And this way, you start feeling successful. And then once you develop enough habits, and by the way, most people lose weight within the first three or four habits, the weight's coming off naturally. And you don't feel that pressure, that constant weigh-in, you know? And to me, the way I use the scale, the scale, yes, we do weigh-ins. It's all it tells me is we haven't changed enough habits yet. Mm. That's it. That's the only thing it tells me. You just need to change a few more habits and a few more habits. And eventually, you change enough to affect your weight. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it, your approach. But it's also, it is with the habit um, comes change automatically. Um, you, were, you were discussing the, the, the importance of a vegan, of, of a lot of vegetables in your, yes. in your diet. I come from a very carnivore upbringing. Um, I remember the first time that I brought my uh, wife home and the, we had a barbecue. And after a little while, my wife sort of leans over and says, where's the salad? <laughs> and I, I leaned across and said, there is no salad. <laughs> so it's meat. Yeah. And yeah. so and I come from that background. That defines for me um, richness. Uh, how to be a good host means lots of meat. So yeah. there are a lot of belief systems that are stuck deep down there that are driving my emotions, etc. Yeah. So for me, it is that one of the, the hardest habits was to actually get more vegetables into my diet and change, not diet, it's a shit word, my style of living, yes. uh, let's eat it like that, um, it, it, to, to implement more. And nowadays I smile when, for example, my wife, she, she created some um, courgette, some zucchini, and put that into the rice. So we had normal rice, uh, brown rice, and then created a zucchini really small and put that in there. And it gave that lovely little crunch. And I looked down, there were the green bits in there, and I thought, I'm eating healthy. And it put uh, a smile on go. my face. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, what a good idea. And it's that kind of a little little kick that you get where you actually say, wow, I'm doing something good. And it makes you feel good. And therefore, yeah. you get the momentum, and then you get the power and the energy to do something else a little good. You might actually decide, oh, well, I'll go for a walk now. Or, even more important, I rest now. I yeah. actually give myself permission to rest. When do we do that? Yeah. I'm the worst example. I'm, I'm like the bloody energizer bunny. Bang, 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 yeah. bang, 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 all day long. And I don't rest. And, ah. Uh, yeah, that, that's a very good point. That your rest is as important as uh, activity, because mm. even like working out, working out does not build muscle. It stimulates the body to build the muscle, but you need to rest to build the muscle. And same thing, like the recovery is as important as the workout. And as far as like the, the meat goes, to me, I, you know, I, I'm not against meat. I, I think meat is fine, and I eat meat myself, by the way. But 
We shouldn't be eating it as often as we do. That's all I'm saying. And, and if you look at all healthy regions, the, one, the longest living people, hmm. they all eat predominantly fruits and vegetables. They do have some meat, but it's not the main thing. Hmm. And if you look at the areas that eat, like Eskimos, they eat a lot of meat. They eat less often though. They, hmm. they eat once a day and sometimes even less than that. In Africa, though, I can't remember the name of the tribe. Uh, the tribe hunted, they were hunter and gatherers, and they ate meat with every meal. But the part that they leave out, they ate five times a week. So there were days they could not catch anything, they didn't eat. So, yes, you could eat meat or all, all that, but you got to eat it less often because it takes longer for the body to digest it and process it. Hmm. And to me, like I said, I like my steak, I like my lamb, of course. I mean, New Zealand, you guys big on lamb too, right? <laughs> we are, we are, absolutely. <laughs> now, unfortunately, the best lamb get exported, but there you go. That's yeah, another you guys, story. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's another whole conversation. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but to me, it's like, you know, everything in moderation, yeah. including junk food. Yeah. You know, because, it, you know, if you go on a diet, the first thing they tell you, oh, no more devil dogs, no more chocolate. No more, are you kidding me? You know, in the media, you don't need to eliminate all the bad foods. All you have to do is make them special. Use them as treats. Like Absolutely. in Greece, we ate uh, junk food. Mm. We ate junk food. But it was a treat on the weekends. Like, mm. I remember, uh, like, you know, the Greek desserts, baklava and mm. galactoburico. Mm. By the way, I make the best ones. My mother's recipe, actually, so I shouldn't say, but I've recreated <laughs> really well. <laughs> but baklava was something that you had on the holidays, Christmas, Easter, now, all the time. And now, Troy, if you go back to my home city now, unfortunately, they're not in the shape they used to be when I lived there. They're very, very different because they changed the way that they live. They no longer live the way I was raised. And what I'm trying to do is bring back, and I call them like the five ancient habits, bring back to the world the habits that used to be a part of every human culture. It's not, nothing special about them. We just have to bring them back because the human body is meant to live a certain way. Oh, and before we're talking about, you know, the importance of resting with exercising, same thing with food. If you talk to any nutritionist, they'll talk about the food you should be eating and the food you shouldn't be eating. Mm. Good, bad. But they never look at uh, the uh, taking breaks from food is mm. as important as what you're eating. Mm. And again, look at every healthy culture around the world, including where I was raised. Fasting is part of our culture. We fasted regularly. And that's something I don't think they emphasize enough, the importance of taking long breaks from food. Absolutely. The body needs a rest. Just like the body needs a rest from activity, mm. the stomach needs a rest. The body needs a rest from processing food constantly. Mm. And that's where autophagy comes in. So true. And it's, uh, and it's uh, so important. Autophagy is meant basically eating yourself. And yes. that's a really, really bad word because you automatically think, oh, my God, if you're a young man and you're fasting, oh, my God, my muscles will disappear yes. now. So I will no longer be looking good. I will look. Bleh. 
And that's the fear of my young men, for example. And I explained to them, no, that's absolute bullshit. If this was the yep. case, how can our ancestors 50,000 years ago survive when there was for days a storm outside and the animals exactly. were hiding and you couldn't go hunting? Well, guess what? You were not suddenly getting weak and so that you can't go get up after five days and go out there to hunt. Rubbish. We would have all died out by now. Exactly. On the contrary, actually, you will actually, during that time, uh, destroy a lot of things that are not good. You were f saying that the wrongly folded uh, proteins, things yeah. that are actually really harmful to us in the long exactly. run. Um, so, yeah, it is a, a key thing to clean up your body. It's like a spring clean. A fast exactly. is, yep. is a spring clean in your body. Hey, you know, it is... We it's it's it we take it for naturally in other parts of our lives that from now and then we declutter, we do we clean up, etc. You that is normal for you, and thereafter you feel so much better. Guess what you happens do. after a fast? That's exactly the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. And that one thing actually, literally, when you fast, your IQ goes up. You actually become smarter, which makes it makes sense actually, because yeah. when you know. Back in the Stone Age, you have to be able to think smarter. You have to be able to remember, oh, what was the fruit tree that I saw? Or where do the animals go? Yeah. And by the way, your energy level goes up. Huh. And in fact, the, the uh, metabolic rate goes up around 5% the first three days hmm. of not eating anything. Hmm. This idea that your metabolic rate is going to shut down if you skip the meal, it's completely false. It's hmm. bogus. But unfortunately, that's what a lot of the stuff I learned in school, that metabolic rate is going to slow down. It's going to eat up your muscle, just exactly what you said. And the body's not dumb. It's not going to go eat up your muscles, which you need to go get your food. It's going to eat up other things. It's like a, it's doing a recycling. That's mm. all it is. Like, exactly. You know, and that's all it is. And, and, and to me, it's like, it's simple stuff. Unfortunately, what has happened in my industry, too many special interests. And that's why you look at so many studies. I mean, when I look at a study, the yeah. first thing I look at, who paid for it? Absolutely. Now, if I'm reading, and if I see it's somebody, there's a conflict, I wouldn't even bother reading it because conflict of interest. Hmm. And, and to me, the other thing is too, we have to start using common sense. I had a debate once. They brought in a, I call it a regular nutritionist on the radio. And the one question, because I, I, the way that I teach nutrition is very different, let's call it. And the question that I asked her, I said, the way that I teach proper nutrition, if you look at throughout the world, look at all the healthy regions, that's the way they eat. My question to you is show me one healthy region that eats the way you're teaching, like counting calories, points, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And there isn't one. If you think about it, there isn't one. Nobody eats that way. And I think is that, that is part of the problem that counting calories points really goes against human nature. Mm -hmm. And the best way I can describe it to see why it goes against human nature. Um, obviously, we all know there's a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. Okay. Your conscious mind is very limited of the amount of, of uh, um, that it can process. Just to, to be precise, it can process around 40 bits of environmental stimuli per second, approximately. This is according to Bruce Lipton. I don't know if you've heard of him. Great guy, by the way. Uh, the subconscious mind 
can process something like 40 million bits of environmental stimuli per second. So your subconscious mind is a million times more powerful than your conscious mind. Now, here's the problem. Since your conscious mind, by the way, the conscious mind can only do one thing at a time. You can only really focus on one thing at a time where the subconscious mind can do thousands of things. So dinner time, the dinner comes, you, now you have to think to figure out how many calories you eat or if you have the right portions of meat <laughs> to carbs and to the vegetables. Now, if your mind is busy figuring that out, well, guess what your mind is not doing? Enjoying the damn meal. You lose some of the pleasure of eating, the anticipation because you focus, oh my God, it's gonna taste so good. No, no instead of you focusing, I'm wondering if that's too many calories. Oh, let me get my calculator out. Mm. So you lose living. You, you're not enjoying life as much. Where to me, the, the uh, and that's where the problem with counting calories. If you look at in Greece or other healthy regions, all the things that kept us in shape, the way we ate were habitual behaviors, which mean the subconscious mind was in charge, which means our conscious mind was free to enjoy the meal, enjoy what we're eating. And to me, I'm all about enjoying life. Yeah. Because what, again, what is the point of being fit and then being miserable? Yeah. <laughs> so true. So true. I think the other thing that we need to, to point out is um, the different uh, the different societies and different uh, uh, indigenous people around the world um, and look at the, the various uh, ways of living and the various ways of thing when we look at our food because you were you were comparing oh we should have x amount of carbohydrates or a ratio of carbohydrates fat and uh, and protein yeah and uh, various various ratios are bunted around and from now and then this is more better and this is better well if you go around the world and if you go to the inuit uh, the eskimos uh, you have got such a fat rich diet it's no longer funny for crying out loud yeah um but then again this is their their uh, diet that their body has become used to that their genetic makeup is preferring so if you give them an apple and say say see that's a lovely or yeah. you know hey, give them a, a green salad so yeah that's your that's your that's your evening meal or your yeah. lunch uh, they say what the hell are you doing um, yeah. So therefore, different different ways of life are there equally. At, uh, since we all are mixing and matching and traveling around the world, you are no longer uh, that Inuit that is only up there in Alaska and never comes anywhere. You your genetic makeup might actually say. What the hell is this apple? Thank you very much. Forget it. Give me yeah. the fat. Give me the protein. That's what I need. So it's it's really important that actually you're not just going blind in there and and favoring the next whatever diet that comes along. No, absolutely. Indeed, you have to figure out what works actually for your body. Yeah. And and there are actually good questionnaires. There are good people out there who actually do that a bit of a testing with you to figure out what is actually who are you individualize all this approach rather than one oh, celebrate tea diet after the other the the one thing i gotta say about that is that if you look at again look at healthy regions there is a variety of different foods that they're eating everybody doesn't eat exactly the same but there are three things that all the healthy regions that i've looked at have in common there's three things there's three, i call them three eating habits 
have nothing to do with what they're eating. In other words, all of them eat less often. They eat mm. once or twice. Mm. That's one thing. Second, because they don't have all this uh, busyness, they have time to eat, they eat more mindfully than we do. Mm-hmm. They eat slow and mindful. Mm-hmm. And they eat uh, when they're truly hungry. They're not eating, oh, you know, you're doing something and you're picking and you're eating mindlessly like we do here. So they're eating out of true hunger. Yeah. Yeah. And if you apply those three habits, you could actually eat really bad food and be okay. I'll give you an example. Are you familiar with the Super Size Me, the documentary yeah. from yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Spurlock? I did the same experiment in 2011. <laughs> I went to McDonald's, most of McDonald's, other fast food. I went to Burger King a couple of times, but it was mostly McDonald's burgers. And again, nothing against McDonald's. Uh, I do like the Big Macs. Anyway, so the food is at the best. Okay, I think we can agree on that. So I went to McDonald's for two months. Before I went to McDonald's, I had my blood work done. I had my cholesterol, triglycerides. I did my blood pressure, my weight, everything. So for two months, I was eating only uh, burger, fries, and their soda. After two months, oh, the only difference was I followed those three habits I told you about. I made sure that I was hungry when I ate, no more than twice. Oh, and I, oh, by the way, I did the 16. So basically, I did never ate breakfast. So I had the 16 hours built in, yeah. basically. Yeah. So I ate only when hungry, no more than twice a day. And I ate every meal slowly and mindfully. And as soon as I felt satisfied, I stopped eating. So after eating not the best food for two months, nothing happened. Actually, my cholesterol went down 10 points. I was uh, 168. I went down to 158. Uh, my uh, weight stayed the same. Basically, nothing changed eating not the greatest food. Uh-huh. And my point here is not that McDonald's is, I'm not saying McDonald's is good. What I'm saying is if you pay attention to how you eat, uh-huh. it can, uh, it, the food that you're eating wouldn't affect you as much as if you weren't paying attention to how you eat. And that's uh-huh. how you can get away with eating. Yeah, uh, well, that's how you can get away with having a lean and healthy body and eat your cupcakes too. Because uh-huh. to uh-huh. me, if you t- pay attention yeah. to how you eat, you can get away. Your body's more forgiving with what you eat. But, okay, I give you a caveat there. So whilst I absolutely agree for a month or two, no no, no issue there. Regrettably, um, I'm a master of malnutrition because as an, as, a, as an alcoholic in recovery, there were many times when I had many of my calories rather in liquid form. And uh, it is yeah. it was certainly not a good diet. And on the long term, I agree with you. Long term, <laughs> you have malnutrition problems. I Absolutely, agree. that's exactly yeah, what I'm what I'm yes. up to. So it is the, when we are saying a balanced diet. That is, there is a reason that we say that because there are many, many tiny things in our food that we don't even yeah. know the names of yet. If we take exactly. those things away then you end up quickly in trouble. And quickly, we're talking weeks, months of time. That is quickly in a lifespan. Um, yeah. So that that is the important bit. So within all means, uh, I love it that you did this experiment on yourself. And it just go, uh, goes to show that there's more to a healthy living than just how many calories of which yes. kind of combination you put in your mouth. So no, it's brilliant. I love it. Absolutely love it. So and 
the uh, again back to how you eat because to me it's I'm very big on because I don't think the nutrition industry is spending enough time to teaching people how to eat. We're too focused on what to eat and not realizing that how you eat affects health. I'll give you another example. In Greece, we ate basically pasta, bread, actually bread with, with every single meal, uh, or potatoes every single day. Yeah. How come those high carb foods never really affected our weight? We're here, they're oh. telling us, oh no, carbs, bad. Gotta cut them down. The difference was, when you eat only once or twice a day, pasta does not affect you the same way. Mm. And if you eat less often, you could eat, get away eating pasta. Like, you know, I love my pasta. Yeah, I eat pasta, potato, and bread pretty much every single night. It doesn't affect me the same way because mm. I, I listen to my body. And to me, for people who, because I try to go to, try to get like some uh, whole wheat pasta. It doesn't taste the same. I mean, to me, I love my pasta <laughs> the way it is, you know? <laughs> But then again, then again, now we are talking. So actually, pasta, pasta is essentially flour and egg, full stop. Salt maybe in it, and that's about it. Yeah, depending, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. So basically, make it yourself. A, you're having fun. B, you're having a workout because you're needing it. Yeah. C, you're having you're you're having connection time with your family because it's fun to actually have the flour going everywhere. Yeah. Um, and there are beautiful there are beautiful studies where. Uh, uh, researchers have asked people to eat pasta and they had basically uh, ramen noodles or stuff like that that you buy and then had homemade pasta there and gave people a little camera that takes pictures. Every few seconds you can program them how often. And then they basically had a look, sort of they, they ate the meal with the camera inside boom, and then had little pictures to see what is actually, how does the, the pasta look like? And really, within a few minutes in the gut, the homemade pasta was dissolved. There was nothing left that you could see, whilst pretty much the, the other pasta was just as beautiful as poorly yeah, chewed as it was. And that says a lot, okay? So Actually, I yeah. wasn't familiar with that study. That's actually no. a very interesting study. Oh, no, it's beautiful and to look at. And it makes sense, at. actually. Isn't it? It's beautiful to look at the, the evidence there in the pictures in, in front of you. And it just shows that that uh, pasta is not pasta. And, and often enough that the foods that we call foods shouldn't really be called foods. There are beautiful chemical cocktails, um, but they are not you know, chips don't yeah. have to have, uh, or fries, um, potato chips, don't have to have 17 ingredients, okay? There should be really, you know, yeah. <laughs> potato, <laughs> oil, salad, uh, salt. Yeah, salt. That's about it, yeah. Okay, and, and no, no, you don't see that. You don't see that. So that's that's another thing. But that's, I mean, that's that's how we were socially engineered in the 50s and 60s. That changed a lot. And I think that is... Again, going back to basics, um, learning actually, relearning how to cook, renoting how to make your meal uh, is yes. actually one of the most beautiful things. It, it does. And I think is that uh, we're talking about the food. I think the drive to be uh, for the food not to spoil is mm. what caused actually. Because back in the old, like in, the, in my hometown, everything was local, mm. you know. Now, I mean, even if you look at our fruits here, remember when I first came to the States, the fruits did not taste like fruits. There was like this cold thing that was biting into. 
where in Greece, they might not look as pretty, yeah. but they didn't put wax on the outside of an apple. You could eat the apple with the, with, with the uh, skin. Mm-hmm. And I think that if the, with the, the thing that demand, I, I do see some really positive changes where now the produce, I got to say, is getting better because I think people start demanding better. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I look at a chocolate, I look at a Greek chocolate, and I looked at an American chocolate, I live in Anonymous. The Greek chocolate has five ingredients, which I can pronounce all five. The other chocolate has like 20 ingredients and half of them, I have no idea what they are. And I'm sure it's preservatives. So this way it can stay on the shelf much longer. Uh, and the thing is the way you're gonna change the food industry is change the demand. Because I don't believe in passing legislation. Or the, I mm. believe that the consumer, we have the power mm. to change. But to me, as far as change is concerned, start with the easiest change and then make one change at a time. Mm. So I would say to people, I would say to you that start with the exercise, add the exercise part into your life. Because I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with so many things we gotta do to be healthy. Oh, yeah. Not realizing that every single change you make, you move your body a little closer to health. Mm. So you can start with exercise, then start with how you eat, some things that you don't need to change what you eat. And by the way, if you stop skipping breakfast, guess what? You just added an extra 20, 30 minutes to your day. Mm. That's, that's actually, true. by the way, that's one of the great benefits. A lot of people say to me, oh, I love eating the way you're teaching because I eat less often, which means I don't have to think about, about food and what to eat or take the time to do it. So in the morning, or I can have an extra 10, 20 minutes to exercise because I don't have to eat breakfast, or I can sleep an extra 20, 30 minutes if I exercise at night. I so like. because a lot of people ask me, well, is your system uh, works for very busy people? I said, let me tell you, my system is perfect for busy people because <laughs> never mind doesn't take any time out of your day. It actually adds more free time to your day. <laughs> I did never consider that, but I actually like that. Yeah. I've, I've very much become an, uh, a fan of, I, I, I rediscovered fasting. Um, I'm, a, I'm a more an all or nothing guy. I think the, once or twice a week I do the, the 16 hours uh, yeah. quite easily. But often I, I actually want to do a day or two without. And I like it because it is, it is sort of a, uh, a, a kickstart of my metabolism. It's a kickstart of my, my body of getting rid of things. And yep. it is, it's a beautiful thing. But so I didn't consider so far the, the time benefits, the very tangible benefits yeah. of, of living such a lifestyle. So I love that. And I want to say back to the to your Greek chocolate. Um, I wonder how much uh, cocoa is in the Greek chocolate to start off with, uh, and how much sugar is in there in relation to it. Uh, oh, I never actually looked at that. I'm gonna look uh, at the next time, uh, and I never looked at the how much it preserving. That's right. So it is. It is uh, the, for the chocolate lovers out there. We are not saying don't eat any more chocolate. Chocolate is actually very healthy. Yeah. And when you read chocolate is healthy, yay! I gonna yeah. get my favorite chocolate now. No, that's not what we mean. We go for a chocolate that is seventy, eighty, ninety percent cocoa, depending upon what you can tolerate, and still call it call it yeah. chocolate. Okay. And, uh, and make sure you eat it slowly and mindfully too. Correct. 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 And make it a celebration. For yeah. your tongue to actually say, ooh, that is yummy. And yes, you're right. You're right. It is, it's all about, it's all about celebration. And it's actually celebrating small, 
steps of progress because that is the beautiful thing this is what we do right now this is what we live right now you have good choices to make and and you make tiny little choices and they make you feel good and then you make another tiny little choice and that makes you feel good and before you yeah. blink you've got a smile on your face and you think where's the smile coming from ah oh, you made 10 little tiny choices but they all accumulated together it was sort of oh, beautiful your body actually says well done you man well done and how cool is that how cool is that see though you said it perfectly Stefan that we need to start celebrating the those choices instead of always looking at the scale as a success mm. indicator we need to start looking at those little choices hey did I make more, more better choices this week than last week yes ah, it's a great week Instead of jumping on the scale, because sometimes you, those choices, because here's the, the, the issue that we have today, which a lot, with a lot of weight loss programs, is that because they want to advertise fast weight loss, because that's what sells, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to lose weight fast, you have to make a lot of changes in your life all at once. Mm-hmm. But if you make all those changes in your life all at once, you burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. So it's a catch-22. So because... If you use the scales as a success indicator, and if you don't make all those big changes at once, and you focus on the scale, you say to yourself, oh, this is not working, and you give up. If you make those changes all at once, you lose the weight, but then you burn out from those changes. So what is the solution? Change your success indicator. Change what you focus on and know that it's only a matter of changing enough habits. That's it. It's not a question whether can you lose weight. It's the only question is, how many behaviors do you need to change before you lose weight? And, and then focus on the behaviors because knowing that by changing these behaviors, eventually it's going to affect my, um, my weight. And the analogy I like to use, it's the um, going to school, right? Let's say you're going for a lawyer. Do you take all the courses all in one semester? No, you, you burn out. But does that after each course, do you run and say, oh, I'm going to be a good lawyer now. Let's see if I can win a case. No, because you know you got to accumulate all this knowledge before you can actually be a lawyer and know enough to fight a case or whatever. Same thing with the doctor, all the professions. Well, it's no different on weight loss. You, there's certain behaviors you need to develop in order to have a lean and healthy body. So don't expect you're going to develop them all at once. Focus on one small change. Mm-hmm. And the kicker there is that uh, the, this method of small changes, in reality, it only seems slow. In reality, it's actually the fastest way to lose weight. And here's why. How many people do you know who've lost weight fast and then gained it right back? I know tons. So after 10 years of losing a weight fast, they're still overweight. Where if you do it the slow way, you only have to do it once. And it might take you a few extra months or even a year or whatever. At least you lost it and you're done. Now you can enjoy life. Although I do believe you should be enjoying life as you're losing the weight. And and by the way, that's why I call my system, live your way thin. You don't take a break from your life. You go to some resort, lose the weight and go back into your life. That doesn't work. Yes. And the reason it doesn't work is because you have to be able to deal with the stressors of your everyday life that usually, let's say, something happens and we resort to eating something to feel better. Well, you have to be able to deal with that without giving in. 
And to me, I'm also big on how do you change those behaviors? How do you change that when I'm stressed, you don't eat, but you do something that's Hmm. not bad or something that's actually good? Hmm. You know, how do you deal with cravings? And well, talking about cravings, here's a a quick tip on how to deal with cravings. Uh, Because I think cravings is something that we all have, you know. So let's say you're craving a piece of chocolate in the middle of the day and you're not hungry, you know, you shouldn't be eating it. Uh, The craving, basically when you crave something, you're asking yourself this question, whether you know it or not. What excuse can I come up with so I can eat? And usually we'll come up with, tomorrow I'm gonna run an extra mile. Tomorrow I'm gonna be extra good. Tomorrow I'm gonna eat extra salad. Tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. So what happens is once you ask your, uh, your brain, what excuse can I come up with? You lost the battle already. Because the mind, it does not reject questions. It just comes up with answers. So if you ask the question, what excuse can I come up with? Well, you will come up with a good enough excuse to eat. So the solution is change the question. So instead of asking yourself, what excuse can I come up with? First, remind yourself, it's Wednesday. I don't need chocolates on Wednesday. I don't need junk food during the week. I can have it on the weekend guilt-free. What else can I do instead? So by keep asking yourself, what else can I do instead? You place a seed in your mind. It doesn't mean you can come up with an answer right away, but over time, mm-hmm. your mind starts trying to figure out what else can I do instead? Oh, I can have a glass of water. Oh, I can play on my iPhone for five minutes. I can play a game. Or I can watch some mindless YouTube. Or I can take a walk. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you'll see answers popping up instead. So you have a craving mm-hmm. and the mind's going to pop up things that you can do instead. And that's how you slowly get get over cravings. And over time, like myself, I remember when I gave up junk food uh, during the week, it was hard because I used to eat junk food all the time. And that's the that's how I did it. And I started telling myself, there's no choice. I cannot have this chocolate. What else can I do instead? Hmm. And by not giving yourself a choice, your craving goes away because cravings get the power from you. You contemplating what excuse you can come up with so I can have it. Nice one. Nice one. I like it. Or you could say you can make a deal with yourself and say, actually, I really want the chocolate now. Today is Wednesday. It's a no chocolate day. Stuff it. I need that chocolate. But you could say, well, I do two minutes of exercise right now. So I do a few squats, then a few incline uh, push-ups, and I don't know, stand on one hand and do a funny position. Dance, dance around, have fun. We yeah. were saying fun. Put a music on and really dance as as no one as if no one is watching. That's three minutes of exercise. That chocolate, you have deserved that. If you still want that chocolate thereafter, you go for it. Have that chocolate. But you did actually something good. And on a on a biological term, you've actually opened up the receptors for, for glucose on your muscles. You have burned some some energy in the muscles. The muscles say, shit, I need more. So therefore, that chocolate, that sugar that comes in, doesn't go onto your waistline. It goes straight into the muscles that you have opened up. Bingo. Yeah. No, it definitely, definitely makes the chocolate less bad by doing something like that. And then, and of course, I would say, do that first before you have the chocolate, like you said. Because Absolutely. don't say, okay, I have the chocolate and then I'll do no. the walk. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's all. <laughs> and then uh, a lot of times when you go for a walk, maybe you'll come back and like, you know something? I don't want that anymore. Exactly. Because a lot of times the cravings do go away, you know? Hmm. And the other thing I wanted to say is about hunger. Hmm. A lot of people who've been taught to fear hunger. 
And a lot of times they, they say to me, well, let's say I have a lunch at uh, 12 o'clock and by 11 o'clock, but, but I'm hungry right now. I'm hungry. Hmm. What should I do? Well, here's the answer. Change the definition of hunger. To me, if you're hungry and you can eat for another hour, and let's say you're truly hungry, look at it. Oh, I, my, uh, I'm giving my body an opportunity to utilize the store energy that I have. Hmm. So instead of focusing on the feeling of feeling hungry and feeling uncomfortable and how much you want to eat, hmm. focus on the benefits of staying hungry and that you're giving your body an opportunity to utilize the store energy that you have. Because since you're hungry and the body wants energy and you're not giving it, well, what the body's going to do? It's not going to kill itself. It's going to start using the fat that it has stored. And to me, unless, of course, you're diabetic, that's a different story, hmm. obviously. But for an, a, 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 a you know relatively healthy person, that's the way you have to start looking at hunger as an opportunity to utilize stored energy. And I find actually that very helpful to wait or like, you know, it's like you say, it's dinner time, it's four o'clock, you're hungry, but you know, you're going to be eating at six o'clock. Hmm. I wouldn't be having a snack. I don't care how hungry you are. Stay hungry. Nothing wrong with staying hungry. Yeah. And, and most of the time, by the way, it's not even too hungry anyway. It's a craving. I know with my kids that I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. Okay. We have this. Oh, I'm not hungry for that. Well, you're not hungry then <laughs> because <laughs> true hunger you want to eat anything. Matter of fact, here's the question to ask yourself to see if you're truly hungry. Would I be able to indulge on a piece of stale bread? If the answer is no, you're not hungry then. True hunger, you want to eat anything. You're not picky. That's right. <laughs> but nowadays, it's like, oh, I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry for this. I'm only hungry for this. Well, that's a craving. That's the definition of a craving. So that's not true hunger. Or I hate when a lot of people use the word, I'm starving. I go, trust me. You don't know what starving is, you know? Starving is very different than, you know, than, okay, I'm hungry, you know? And, that, and again, nothing in the world, but I blame, I don't blame the people for that. I blame the industry for teaching them that. Cause that's what the industry was taught. Even when I went to school and I got my certification as a personal trainer, they was teaching us that like never skip a meal, skipping a meal, going hungry, bad. And come to find out, no, it's one of the best things you can do. Is let your body go. Oh, and here's the biggest benefit, by the way. That was the six hours I forgot to mention. Your taste buds are more sensitive. Uh So you actually enjoy food even more. (laughs) And you don't have to put as much salt on things because your taste buds are more sensitive. So you can taste the salt that's naturally in the food. So you'll find that you don't need to put as much spices on your food because you can taste the food better. Nice. And for me, for cooking, it's actually really good to be able to taste things well. Hmm. Oh, beautiful. Stavros, what an interview. What an, uh, a source of information. What a source of, of encouragement you are. I truly enjoyed that. If other people feel the same, if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, the best way is to reach me uh, on my um Website, which is liveyourwaythin.com. Exactly how it sounds, liveyourwaythin.com. Because I'm all about living your way to a healthy body, not taking a break from your life. Hmm. Get the healthy body and then try to get back into your life. That doesn't work, unfortunately. <laughs> and I have all the information in there because I offer all different types of online uh, programs too. Because obviously, most people think cannot come to Danbury. A little far away from New Zealand, right? Mm. 
No, absolutely good. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because all his details are written there. Stavros Mastagianis, I am very, very grateful that you came onto my show. Uh, you're a breath of fresh air uh, in an industry that is often very focused on certain aspects and and speaking a bit derogatorily, um, if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Um, so therefore, if you come from the exercise side of healthy living, it must be exercise. If you come from the nutrition side, well, there's only nutrition and a little bit of exercise. That already tells you, hang on, there is, mm, hang on, there's, there must be more to that. And so it's nice to see a holistic approach uh, and uh, an approach. And Stefan, that, thank you for having me on your show. I really enjoyed the interview too. Indeed. You're, you know, love your interview. Oh, thank you very much. Stavros, look after yourself. And you guys out there, we have given you so many, so many tips to make small changes. I mean, there must be 100 tips in that interview. Uh, it's a wealth of information. Go out there, choose one, choose one tiny one and yep. make that today. And then tomorrow say, hey, yeah, that was feeling good. What next change can I make? That's how your life starts. <laughs> Indeed. So, Stavros, thank you so much. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. Thank you.